Stuff and I, Surprise Box Music Wednesday. What do we have? Della Soul is what we have. Me, Myself and I was released as a single in late 89 from their debut studio album, Three Feet High and Rising. I can recall it so clearly when it first came out uh, at university and it was an absolute breath of fresh air, one of the most innovative records of the late 90s. And it came amidst a, a boom and sort of uh, more gangster rap, which gravitated toward confrontational violent lyrics and here we had Three Feet High and Rising and it showcased uh, De La Soul's uniquely positive style and I tell you something the music still uh, well it doesn't date does it so uh, a bit of De La Soul this afternoon for you on the panel with me Wallace Chapman I am with Janet Wilson this afternoon and Johnny O'Donnell and I want to come back to this story we had earlier uh, Finland Prime Minister Sana Marin is in Aotearoa with a high level Finnish trade delegation and what has been less discussed in this is what is Finland and what does it do? What does it do well? They top the indices on various levels. For a nation of five and a half million, they're a powerhouse. Many of our elevators and escalators, they're from Finland. They make the largest cruise ships on earth. Finland, some of the best postnatal care for families. Finnish schools, some of the top in the world. Children start at seven a lot to learn, the world's happiest country, apparently. Clive Elliott, KC, is a barrister. He went to Finland to find out. He wrote a book about it. Clive, kia ora. Good to have you on the panel. Yes, yes, kia ora. So here you have a country with limited natural resources, aside from wood and water, becoming something of a powerhouse. How? It's, it's an amazing story. And uh, the, re- the reason I actually went to Finland was... I'd, I'd heard about Finland. I knew that um, that there'd been meetings there, and I think I think Trump met um, Putin there, things like that. But I didn't know much about the country. But the more I researched this this book of mine, which is about about well-being and how we achieve well-being, Finland cropped up more and more times. And I thought, what, why is this? What, what is this country doing that's so good? So there's many things to ask about because they're extremely high tech and you know the elevators and escalators but, but there are other aspects as well they've uh, the, the, a big deal has been signed with the app i think it's a walter delivery app for eight billion dollars to a u.s firm um, there's yeah. also um, a sense of i think you mentioned clive a sense of civic trust and egalitarianism and that feeds into this yeah yeah it does it's a very equal country and 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 women are very equal um, women hold, well, obviously the prime minister's uh, women at the moment, um, and um, it's it's amazing in the sense that um, it places a huge emphasis on education. And you mentioned kids going to school only at seven; they, they have amazing success rates there. And one one of the one of the points I found out was that they have a something like ninety nine percent completion rate at their schools across the board. So, so the the question is, how do they manage to keep kids in school and allow them to actually finish in in some form when we're getting so many kids dropping out and uh, truancy is high? There, there are just so many things that they do well that that we don't do well. Mm, well, we've got a panel with us, Clive. Uh, let's bring in Janet Wilson. Janet, I don't know whether you've been to uh, Finland, but uh, here we are. I have indeed. I was you in have? the eighties when. Yes, I went in the 80s when um, it was actually booming um, ahead of the 90s when it, yes. uh, it fell into 
it fell into a bit of a financial crisis. Um, Clive, I'm really interested in the relationship between their education system and um, this tech system that they have. Um, when, when did the tech system start and mm. did that come out of that financial crisis in the 1990s? I think the I think the I think the tech uh, the tech revolution started much earlier than that, and it was really built around uh, mobile phones. And Nokia became the right. top mobile phone company in the world. Yes, but but, but the Finns are clever because Nokia collapsed, as we know. But they Nokia is still a powerful company, but it's moved into into hardware and mainframes. So they've just morphed and pivoted into something else, and they just seem to have a, nat- a natural aptitude for uh, technology. But I think it comes through the education system, which which really I, I, th- I think is an amazing system that's been studied around you know by people all around the world. Um, and I think I think we should be saying, look, tell us how you do it because we need to do better. Here. Actually, Clive, I think before we go to yeah. John, Johnny, and this is I mean it's interesting, isn't it? Because we often talk about business and social responsibility in different terms. But I was reading an article, I think it was in Fortune magazine, that said that that notion of no person left behind when you're very young feeds into everyone doing very well later, Clive. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and the way the Finns do it, it's actually very simple. They have smaller class numbers. They, they don't put a lot of pressure on the kids. They, right. they, they, have, a, they have a lot of, a lot of uh, non-study activities so that the kids are encouraged to actually enjoy, enjoy school. Um, so there's a lot of things that are actually very basic and, and counterintuitive, but they seem to work, and, and, and the education standard there is, is, is incredibly high. Johnny? Yeah, this is really interesting, Kia ora, Clive, and I, I uh, read with interest your um, op-ed in the Herald and the uh, discussion around Finland being um, one of the most advanced knowledge-based economies in the world. And this is really interesting because uh, pointing to the fact they have fewer natural resources. And I wondered, to what extent do you think that is going to shape um, our country's economic future moving forward, given that whilst we have a lot of natural resources, we really need to stop exploiting them for economic gain. Uh, and I wondered, uh, my observation has certainly been that um, we really underrate our smarts here as an important contributor to our economy, our intellectual capital. I wonder what your thoughts were on that. Oh, absolutely. I think I think that we have to follow follow what they've done. And, and it's, it's, the, it's the soft skills and it's the intangibles that, that that we need to develop because we are remote from markets, and but but in the tech world, uh, you know, the, 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 there is no there is no tyranny of distance, and and I think that one advantage that um, that Finland has was, was it was a lot closer to Scandinavia and it also had a big Russian market that it, it developed. We we don't have that um, advantage. But I think that our, our knowledge uh, economy is is booming, but you know we we're getting um, we're getting pressure from Australia with grants for um, companies that, that that are developing game software. Um, we need to hang on to that to that knowledge and develop now, in, it. And, Clive, finally, in what ways are we similar? We're similar in the sense that we um, that we're two small countries. Almost the same population, the same population density. Um, we we are remote, and um, we we we've also been dominated by by larger neighbours, um, New, New Zealand with with the United Kingdom and Finland with Russia. 
Um, we've both had a break away from them, but we also still have, have difficult neighbours in the sense of uh, Russia and, in our case, Australia. Russia and, particularly, uh, I guess, Clive. Yes, r- rather more menacing than Australia. But Australia is not, is not a good neighbour for us. And I'm talking about the 501 issue, mm. which I think is something that needs to be discussed. It's a huge problem for us. And um, so, so I, think we, I think we're similar in that sense, but we do have an egalitarian society where, where everyone is, uh, is equal. And, and the Finns are amazing. You, d- you don't see a lot of wealth there. No, the wealthy people don't actually flaunt their wealth. Um, you don't see a lot of Rolls Royces, um, you know, swanning around in Helsinki. You know, they, they're low-key sort of people, and there's plenty of wealth there, but they don't, they don't show it. It's so very interesting, Clive, and um, we might uh, even come back to that. We talked about a finish. We, we talked about a very successful bullying program here, Institute in Aotearoa called Kiva, and just suddenly realised that that's from Finland as well. So we might touch back on the education aspect uh, later in the week or next week. Clive yeah. Elliott, kia ora. Thanks for your time. Yeah, pleasure. Nice talking to you. It's uh, Clive Elliott there, Casey, uh, a barrister who went to Finland uh, and wrote uh, a book about it and quite a few tits coming through about that. And if you are, if you're from Finland, why don't you get in touch with me? Email me, thepanel at rnz.co.nz. Is this a lot of hot air? Are we actually uh, onto something here or is there another side? Finland says someone has also eradicated homelessness by giving homeless people apartments with in-house mental health and medical support for residents. Um, and a couple of facts that I found out personally about Finland. Um, I didn't know this, Johnny. They're the biggest coffee drinkers in the world. Oh, really? Maybe another yeah. similarity with us. We've, we're pretty fond of our coffee, aren't we? We are, but they drink around 12 cups a day. Uh, also, wow. um, Finland has a thriving heavy metal scene. Uh, some say the best in the world. Finns love heavy metal so much. There's even a dinosaur heavy metal band for children, helping them learn the lessons of staying in school and drinking milk. Very interesting. Uh, the panel, RNZ National, Janet Wilson and Johnny O'Donnell uh, with me today. Uh, This has been pretty significant news uh, in the last uh, 24 hours. A U.S. court has ordered an immediate ban on New Zealand exports of certain fish species from the North Island's west coast. Wildlife conservation organisation Sea Shepherd filed the legal proceedings to protect endangered Maui dolphin habitats. Nine fish species are included in the court's injunction, including snapper, trevally and hawkey. The ban will remain in place until the US finds New Zealand's regulations for fisheries are comparable with their standards or until the court case is fully resolved. More on this, we have Greenpeace Aotearoa Oceans campaigner Ali Hooper. Ali, welcome. Hi there, thank you. Well, uh, the US has spoken. Next minute, some of these great um, uh, uh, fish species banned from their shores. How significant is this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really significant. Um, What this shows is that New Zealand has really fallen behind and failed to protect one of the world's rarest dolphins, one that's only found here. Um, And they've done that so badly that um, another country has had to take matters into their own hands. Um, I mean, this will hit the commercial fishing industry where it hurts, which is in their pocket. Um, and it could potentially do that to the tune of 200 million if New Zealand can't prove traceability in their fisheries. Um, so it damages New Zealand's um, international reputation um, as well as its export earnings. 
So here we are. We're looking at the, we're looking snapper, tarakehi, spotted dogfish, trevally, uh, waruho, hawkey, barracuda, mullet. Pretty significant part of gurnet as well. Um, so what does um, tr- uh, proving traceability mean? Well, I think essentially so that there's multiple fisheries, as you can, as you just mentioned, um, involved in this um, temporary ban. Um, and the issue, I think, that is that New Zealand can't always prove um, exactly how things have been caught and where. Um, so that's where the 200 million figure comes in there. The U.S. has much, much stronger regulations in terms of needing proof um, that the fish that was caught was done in a way um, that didn't endanger um, an endangered marine mammal. And I mean, the Maui dolphin is one of the world's rarest dolphins. We've got um, a handful of them left, about 50. Um, and so it hasn't, it hasn't met the U.S. standards and therefore this temporary ban has been imposed. Uh, Some might say um, it's raising eyebrows that the United States is um, ordering us around uh, around the issues of environmentalism. Yeah, I don't think I'd really agree with that. I think it's more, um, I would see it from the direction of we have known in New Zealand and the government has known and the commercial fishing industry has known that they are posing a massive threat, commercial fishing is posing a massive threat to Maui and Hector's dolphins and indeed multiple other marine creatures in New Zealand. Uh, but they have refused to change and they refuse to take action um, in an adequate way to protect those creatures. Um, and so now what Sea Shepherd has done, which is quite amazing, um, is sort of force the commercial industry to sit up and listen um, because it's going to potentially um, affect their bottom line. Um, I don't think it's a case of the United States ordering us around, but it actually um, it shines a really sad light on the fact that they obviously feel it's more important um, to protect marine creatures than um, the New Zealand government do here and the industry do here. Okay, Johnny. Oh, kia ora, Ali. To, to, what, to what extent do we know? This is one of those issues. As soon as you scratch below the surface, if you're if you've got a um, just a casual interaction with it, and you're not deeply involved, like someone um, like you is, it's it's hard to establish the facts really quickly. So I was wondering if you might address the um, statements that have come from the fishing sector around the um, impact of commercial fishing and the um, the statement around it being not the biggest cause of the death of the Maui dolphin. Have you got any thoughts around that? Yeah, I do. I mean, I I think we've heard this a lot um, over the years. And I think what I haven't read their statement in full, but what I would say is that I think the toxoplasmosis threat is definitely in the mix. There are multiple threats to creatures in the marine environment. But commercial fishing historically um, has really pushed Maui and Hector's dolphins to the brink of extinction. And they continue to pose a massive threat. Um, And commercial fishing is one of those risks that we can control. Like, we can regulate it. So if we know that it's a threat, we can stop the methods in the areas that we know these Maui dolphins are living in, um, and we can restrict them. Uh, We can talk about the other threats if we like, but to some degree they are harder to control. To control, like toxoplasmosis. Janet, I'm I'm thinking about the time frame for this uh, at the moment. Uh, James Brown, MPI's manager of international fisheries, said the stop was temporary. That there is a hearing next month to hear further arguments. Do you believe that this will be a short term ban or a long term ban? Yeah, I mean, I think that would um, probably be a better question place for Sea Shepherd. I mean, I think we're obviously, we're hopeful that the the ban's taken seriously um, and that it lasts um, for as long as it takes for New Zealand to get its um, its house in order on this. Um, We clearly need more restrictions in the Maui dolphin habitat to protect the species from extinction. And so we really hope it it holds until um, those measures have been taken. What what are we missing here, uh, Ellie? Because, you know, uh, James Brown, MPI's manager, 
of international fisheries management, you know, echoing as a temporary stop, but saying, look, um, they've put in place, we have put in place comprehensive measures to protect the dolphins based on the best available scientific information and extensive consultation with New Zealanders. Mm. Um, I think, I mean, the threat management plan that came out a couple of years, it did make progress, to be fair to them, but it just didn't go far enough. Um, and actually, if you talk to some of the experts and if you um, had read any of the submissions that environmentalists made on this, um, that were also backed up by tens of thousands of New Zealanders, um, what they wanted to see was uh, the Maui's entire habitat range, that's actually a 100 metre depth contour, protected from industrial scale trawling um, and set netting. And what we got was um, with short of that. So I think most of the trawl restrictions only go out to about four nautical miles. There were more restrictions on set netting, um, but I think essentially we need more. Um, we need the entire habitat range to be restricted because one more death of the Maui dolphin when there's only about 50 left um, is, you know, it's really significant. Okay. Uh, kia ora, Ali. Thanks for your time. That's Ali Hooper, Thanks the so uh, Greenpeace Aotearoa Oceans campaigner. Uh, so that's the news. Uh, a US court has ordered a ban on New Zealand exports of several fish species. Yes, going back to court uh, and could be temporary, could be uh, otherwise. And uh, you would have heard Jeremy Halson, uh, the CEO of Seafood NZ, on this morning on Morning Report. So you can uh, check that out. That's rnz.co.nz forward slash morning report. He is saying that New Zealand fisheries do comply with US standards. Now, an animal welfare expert is wanting the country to introduce a National Cat Act. She says it won't just help native birds, but our feline friends also. A petition going through a parliamentary select committee is calling for domestic cats to be registered, microchipped and de-sexed unless kept by registered breeders. With us is Dr Helen Beatty, the Managing Director of Veterinarians for Animal Welfare Aotearoa. Dr Beatty, kia ora. Kia ora. A National Cat Act. What would that look like? Well, it would be uh, lots of different um, pieces that would make up the Act, uh, but some of the things that you just spoke about, so the registration um, of uh, a microchip onto our National Register, and having cats be sex certainly um, underpin a big part of that. But in addition to that, we want a whole bunch of other things to um, actually help deal with one of the issues your previous speaker was just mentioning, um, around things of spread, spread of toxo and diseases um, and colony uh, cats and that type of thing. And all of that also helps, obviously, not just with cat welfare, but also protecting our native species. Now, part of it uh, is also, and you know, we have uh, this, this. This issue does come up again, but you really are wanting to try and take this um, uh, quite seriously. There's a petition going through uh, a select committee. Is that notion of um, uh, the, the the idea that cats roam, um, and you not or people not wanting them to roam, perhaps staying indoors more, like they do in parts of Australia. Yeah, I mean, there's um, there's a lot of things to work through with yep. um, when, when thinking about keeping cats uh, safe and happy at home. And certainly, the one really important part of that messaging is that it's not just about shutting the door and um, you know locking up a cat that's otherwise been used to living uh, with some freedom. 
Um, we need to be really mindful of cat welfare in this process too, but certainly long-term what we'd like to see is cats being kept safe and happy at home. That could be inside if that's um, what's appropriate for your cats. It could be a catio situation where there's like a little enclosed area just oh, yeah. in one part of the house. Or actually you can get really cool fences these days which actually you can put around your boundary in a similar way as you would with a dog fence to, to keep your cat um, on your property. Yes, I think we highlighted that in a, in a small business piece a couple of months back, uh, an actual company making these uh, cat fences. Johnny, what's your take on this? Do you have a cat yourself, Johnny? No, and at the risk of making myself quite unpopular with, I'm sure, a lot of your <laughs> listeners, there's not a, not a lot of love lost between me and cats, I don't think. But I mean, I, I, I need some help here because I, I read the um, the nature of the petition, um, cats to be registered, microchipped, and to be desect unless they're kept by registered cat breeders. I need some help here, Helen. Why would anyone oppose that? That sounds entirely sensible. <laughs> Yeah, great. It is entirely sensible. Um, so just to be clear, um, there's a difference between registering the microchip so that if you've got a microchip in the cat that we can then scan it and find out, you know, who the details, um, uh, what they are and who, who the cat um, belongs to, uh, as opposed to actually registering the cat. <clears throat> now, the Cat Act might address both of those things, but that's all the details that would fall out. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, they're two really, really sensible things to do. Uh, it means that um, for example, during the Christchurch earthquake, there was a massive, massive, massive difference between the cats that found their way back to their um, to their homes if they had a microchip in them versus those that didn't. All right. Um, so it certainly helps with that, but also just obviously the desexing, reducing the population uh, and the overpopulation, which we've been addressing for a number of decades now, and really the number of cats coming through shelters and getting born every year doesn't decrease. So we need to take a oh, national yeah. approach to this now. Janet. No brainer. Yeah, I'm I'm with Johnny on this one. I'm I'm um, there are two types of people in this world. Danny DeVito said in the movie The War of the Roses, cat people and dog people. And cat people should never marry dog people. So I'm a dog person. But having said that, um, what about the argument? What about the argument that these cats roam as as um, a species anyway, and by keeping them in, we're simply stopping them. We're domesticating them when they really should be roaming. What do you? What would you say to that argument? <laughs> well, firstly, I'll say I'm making a note not to marry you, Janet, because uh, I'm a cat person. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, you, you're a cat person, Helen. <laughs> of course, I'm a cat person. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, I'm an I'm an animal person. Yeah. I'm a veterinarian, but I I do love right. cats. Yeah. Um, yeah, Janet, look, it's a good question. And I mean, this is, it's a similar argument to how we would have thought about dogs back in, you know, the early 1900s though, right? Like they weren't kept safe right. and happy at home either. They weren't registered. Um, and there certainly wasn't the same push for desexing dogs back then. Um, if you told people in 1950, they were going to have to put a fence around their section to keep their dog at home. There would have been a kerfuffle. And in fact, when the Dog Control Act went through, there was a kerfuffle about um, microchipping and keeping them at home. So I think, you know, what we're talking about here is intergenerational change. Um, and you're right, there are cats that um, are very, uh, you know, they, they are roamers and they are left out to, to do that and that's, that's part of their normal life. And that's what I was saying before, like I think it, this is not about just shutting the door on cats that, uh, you know, in a way that would mean their welfare is really poorly, um, their welfare becomes really poor. So we need intergenerational change here. It might be that, you know, we put some um, measures in place for the current cat population, but when people go to replace their cat or get a new cat, then we think at that point around what, you know, that new yeah. relationship looks like. Yeah, it's a lot of response right. here, uh, Helen, as you can no doubt. But as but, but, <laughs> but, uh, but, but a fellow cat lover, Dr. Beattie, 
Kira, thanks for your time. <laughs> uh, I'm Wallace, I'm Wallace Chapman. Johnny O'Donnell, Janet Walsh, you've been fantastic this afternoon. Kia ora to you both. Uh, I'm Wallace Chapman, and Checkpoint is next. I am with you tomorrow, 3.45.